I promise y'all are not ready for this. <laughs> well, hey, maybe I'm not either. <sighs> well, let my page load here. I, I don't, why, why am I, that's not what I wanted. I've got an article about Kylie Jenner here. That's not what I was going for. I had an article up. Here we go. They say you need a good attention getter. You ready for this? This is an article from November 29th, 2013 from the Daily Mail in our brothers across the pond in the UK. Italian mobster killed rival by feeding him alive to pigs. Oh, it gets better. The article says a mobster was killed. Now, this is true. A mobster was killed by being fed alive to pigs by rival gangsters, Italian police said yesterday. Francesco Racasta was beaten with iron bars before being thrown screaming into a sty where he was swiftly eaten by the hungry animals. His horrifying death was the latest bloody installment in a 60-year feud between warring members of an Italian crime syndicate, detectives say. The murder was carried out by Simone Pepe, a member of the, I don't know how to say that, crime family, which holds a fierce grip on the southern Italian region of Calabria. Yesterday, police released tapes of intercepted phone calls in which Pepe is heard saying of Ricosta, it was so satisfying hearing him scream, Mamma Mia, he could scream. I'm not making this up. I didn't see a thing left, he said. People say sometimes the pigs leave something. In the end, there was nothing left. Those pigs could certainly eat. Told you you weren't ready for that. The title of our message today is Specs, Logs, Dogs, and Hogs. You weren't ready for that either. Are those the application points? No, I tried to do that and it just didn't work out. <clears throat> You'll remember the title and, and the article at the beginning at least. We're going to look today at Matthew chapter 7, verses 1 to 6. And as we read this, you're going to see exactly why I read those things and why I called this message what we're calling it. So if you would, please stand as we read the Word of God, which is much more important and a story about pigs eating a man. The words of God written down, recorded for us so that we can know Him and love Him. Judge not that you be not judged, for with the judgment you pronounce you will be judged, and with the measure you use it will be measured to you. Why do you see the speck that's in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when there's the log in your own eye? You hypocrite. First take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. Do not give dogs what is holy, and do not throw your pearls before pigs, lest they trample them underfoot and turn to attack you. Let's pray. Father, what we are looking at today is incredibly challenging. And I pray that your Holy Spirit would convict us as individuals, convict us as a congregation, convict us corporately, 
And God, if there be those this morning who are here who do not know Jesus as their Savior, Holy Spirit, breathe life and draw them to you for your glory. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Specs, logs, dogs, and hogs. This is really... one of the most challenging passages in this Sermon on the Mount that we've come against. Um, And we've seen some pretty challenging stuff, haven't we? It's like Jesus is just growing in intensity and shrinking in focus as we've moved through this Sermon on the Mount. So today's chapter 7 which is the final of the three chapters, chapter 5, 6, and 7, make up the Sermon on the Mount. And uh, we've been in it a couple months now, and we've seen a lot, a lot of stuff. Uh, Let me kind of recap that before we get into our first verse today. So you remember way back in chapter 5, the Beatitudes, happy, blessed are those... Jesus was addressing His disciples, focusing first on the characteristics of those that are citizens of the King's kingdom. He then told them that they were the salt of the earth and the light of the world before turning His attention to how His disciples should relate to or walk in the law of God. Remember Jesus said, I have not come to abolish the law, but to fulfill it. So He told them what that would look like for them to walk in that since the law had been misinterpreted for a thousand years or more. And in their day and time, the scribes and Pharisees were focused on an external righteousness and had boiled the law down to what seemed like really impossible demands, but were really kind of bottom shelf cookie stuff. If you don't kill anybody, you're all right. And Jesus said, well, it's actually in your heart. That's the big deal. And Jesus did address the heart to the inner person regarding areas of anger, lust, divorce, oaths, retaliation, and even how to handle your enemies. And He said, love your enemies, pray for those who persecute you. Then in chapter 6, Jesus began warning His disciples to not be like the hypocrites, the scribes and the Pharisees, who did what they did out in the open, in public, to be seen by others and admired by their adoring fans. He then addressed the do's and don'ts of giving to the needy and praying. And there was special emphasis we saw on how to pray. Go into your room, close the door, pray to your Father in secret. Our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. Y'all probably remember that. The skeletal outline that we call the disciples' prayer given in verses 9 through 15 of chapter 6. Then there were instructions on fasting. Don't do that like the hypocrites. And then he moved to contrasting His disciples with the Gentiles, the world, when He talked about not laying up treasures in heaven. And then He said, don't be anxious about everyday essentials either, down to what we eat, drink, what we put on, or about tomorrow even. Again, that's a lot. There's a whole lot. And now today, after all that, Jesus turns His directives to some of the hardest stuff that He could. And what we're going to focus on through chapter 7 to the end of this chapter pretty much is human relationships. Now let me tell you what, life would be a lot easier if, it were, if there wasn't for other people. I'd get along just fine if I didn't have to deal with people. And I kind of say that half-jesting. I mean, wouldn't it be easier? It would be awful too. 
be a lot easier to pastor if there were no people. But I, I like pastoring people. So he's turning his attention to human relationships. And really, there's nothing going to show the metal of, real, of who you really are than when you start to come flesh on flesh with somebody else. When you have to interact with other people. I prefer, I don't know if this is bad or wrong to say, I prefer to stand up here and play music by myself because it's hard to play with other people. It's hard to blend and, 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 and do something that sounds not discordant when you're with other people. And again, we've got a good bunch of people here I'm thankful for. But it's just easier for me to play by myself. And anybody ever get that thing in school does not play well with others? Yeah. So we're going to see what it means to deal with others, to, to come in life-on-life interactions and it's hard and Jesus knows that and he doesn't let up okay so our first verse today dealing with these human relationships is judge not that you be not judged well right verse 2 says for with the judgment you pronounce you will be judged and with the measure you use it will be measured to you now we've we've heard that before right huh the culture at large don't care jack about the Bible. I mean, they'll quote this one to you, won't they? Who are you to judge me? Judge not lest you be judged. That's the mantra of our age. It's everybody's go-to if you call them out for something, isn't it? I mean, they'll even say, the Bible says you shouldn't judge me. Because if you judge me, you'll be judged that way yourself. And you don't want to do that, do you? So the question is, should we judge? Shouldn't we judge? Can we? Can we not? Does it say it? It actually says what? I mean, what what did you say? Judge not that you be not judged. So are we supposed to judge or not? Does it mean don't judge? And the answer is not really. Be careful here. It's important to know what this word judge means here in this context. Context is king. Context rules. You take a text out of a context and you make it a pretext. The Greek word for judge here means to condemn. To judge in a way that leads to a negative decision. It's a negative judgment by one who has made it their prerogative to be the judge, even though they probably aren't. To judge here is the judge's right, privilege, and sole responsibility. And this judge always gives a thumbs down. And Jesus says for sure, don't do that. Stop it, to borrow last week's language, right? But we all kind of have a tendency to do that, don't we? People start talking and we're kind of rolling the eyes of our heart. Rolling the eyes of my heart, Lord. Rolling the eyes of my heart, this guy's an idiot. This guy's an idiot. And we're just waiting for them to stop talking so we can tell them why they're wrong. Anybody ever been there? (laughs) You're like, right now, actually. (laughs) Well, don't. 
It's an air of superiority. It's kind of a disgust at the other person and what they're saying or doing. And so many times, it's deciding for the person why they're doing what they're doing. Now, that's really important. This is talking about, I know why you're saying what you're saying. I know why you're doing what you're doing. You're passing judgment on motives. And stop it. We just know that someone did what they did for whatever reason. He just did that to see if he could provoke me. She just said that because she knows it pushes my buttons. R.C. Sproul said that it's a cardinal rule of relationships to never, 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 I don't remember how many nevers he said, never assign motives to people's actions. Young folks, please hear that. If you can cut that out of your life at this young part of your age and not fall into that habit and pattern, you are going to be much better off. If you can kill that sin by the power of the Spirit now, you're going to be much better later. The judge here, judge not, judges somebody's motives. I know why they did that and their motives were bad. And you should never, listen, never do that. Why? Because when we do that, we judge the person and we deem them usually mean or bad or evil or just bad-natured. I mean, how many people have ever said, oh, he must have left his socks on the living room floor because he loves me so much? Anybody? Or, oh, she must really care about me to run the gas out of my car and not fill it up. He's such a good person. These thoughts and conversations usually run the opposite route to that, don't they? He always does this. He does not care about me. He's so selfish. She never does what I ask her to do. She never listens to me. She doesn't respect me. That's more like it, isn't it? And we may not say these things out loud, but they're happening in our heads and they're happening in our hearts. And that's assigning motive to someone. That's judging in what we're talking about today. So is, well, here they go again, talking about things they don't know anything about. Or I bet they think they're going to get away with this. It's a self-bent that turns us into the good guy. We're the good guy, and the other person is the bad guy. All the time, consistently, day in and day out. And why? Because it's empowering, right? Who doesn't want to be the judge and jury? And make the important decisions, especially in relationships with other people. It's safer. It's insulating. I'm not going to let them affect me because I'm going to pass judgment on them. And obviously they do what they do because they're bad. And it makes us feel better about ourselves to berate or to belittle other people. Because I'm not as bad as they are. John Stott says three things of what it means to judge someone else. These are three things you should never do. One, puts the worst possible construction on other people's motives. That's judging. Two, pours cold water on their schemes and dreams. And three, 
is ungenerous toward them when they make mistakes. Let me read those again. One, puts the worst possible construction on other people's motives. Two, pours cold water on their schemes and dreams. And three, is ungenerous toward them when they make mistakes. That's what it means to judge here that Jesus is saying not to do. And the people that do this are bitter, vengeful, and looking for a fight kind of people. And they love to point out the faults of others. And so Jesus says, don't do that. Stop it. My people, my disciples, the citizens in my kingdom, don't do that. Don't be that person. Why? Because if you're that type of person, guess how people are going to respond to you? They're going to go into self-defense mode and that will lead them to do what? They're going to turn the tables on you and judge you and your motives because, well, that's how you are, right? She's impossible to please. Oh, he's just a jerk because you are. Because you are. Now we've said or heard before, he can dish it out but he can't take it. Well, here the one who dishes out takes it whether they want to or not. Look at verse 2 again. For with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. If you dish this out, you're going to take it whether you want to or not. Anybody know anyone who's a judge? Anyone know that they themselves are judges or have those tendencies? Well, Jesus knew our frame, and He knew that we did have, that we do have, and we will have this tendency in our lives, especially in the inner parts of us. We may smile and nod at someone and never say what we're thinking or judging, but we've passed judgment on them within the first act or first sentence that they spoke. And how much does Jesus care about the inner person? That's pretty much the whole point of the Sermon on the Mount, right? It's not about external righteousness, it's about internal righteousness that sees itself working itself out into external righteousness. So here we see him go straight to the heart of the judger, the one who holds others in contempt so often. And he tells his disciples, and by association he tells us, to not do that. Do not judge. And if you do, you can be sure that the boomerang you threw at the other person or other people will come back and find your head way more than it's going to find your hand. And then he gives us a very vivid picture, or some vivid pictures in verses 3 through 5 to illustrate this point. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that's in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when there's the log in your own eye? You hypocrite. First, take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. Again, very familiar passage. But let's be careful again to take it in the context that it's in and not rip it out to serve our own purposes because people say, you, you, you got a log in your eye, you just need to leave me alone. First of all, remember that he has just said not to judge lest you be judged in the same weight and measure you were judging. That's the point. That's the main thrust of what he's trying to communicate. So what we see in verses 3 through 5 is just a pronounced picture of what this condemning judging looks like. 
You see, the judge that condemns has a hard time seeing their own faults. Their judging, their elevating themselves above or better than others makes them blind to their own faults. Or at the very most, it makes them say things like, well, I know I have my faults, but you should see him. You should see her. And then the conversation turns to the other person or people who obviously have glaring issues that are much worse than the judge's own issues. The judge doesn't address his own stuff. It's always the other person who's the problem. Well, you don't know what he's like. Well, you don't know what she's like. I'm not talking to them right now. I'm talking to you. How are you doing? What are you doing? Well, she's got that speck in her eye, though. Excuse me there, plank eye, but uh, you got some issues, too. Jesus shows what that looks like. It's like seeing a speck of sawdust. Anybody ever seen a little speck of sawdust? Ever get one in your eye? It ain't no fun. It hurts. And usually you know it, right? Uh, what? I got, I got what in my eye? But you're, you're zeroed in on somebody's speck of sawdust and you're not noticing that you have a log in your own eye. You're so zeroed in on the faults of someone else, you can pick them apart down to the very tiniest speck of residue in their eye. You know how hard it is to see something in somebody's eye? I can't. You got something in your eye? I don't know. I can tell if you were doing this or something. Nitpicking. Focusing on the smallest of things that are bad, wrong, out of place, or more than likely not up to your rigid expectations. But why do you do that and not notice, not choose to see that you have a log in your own eye? The word for log here is indicative of a main supporting beam in a house or building. It's not a two by four. It's big. Exaggerated, sure. But effective, absolutely. You want to jump on the smallest of offenses in your brother, your wife, your husband, your kids your parents, but don't want to see your own gigantic sin or flaw, you don't notice it. Oh, I didn't see that. And why? Because that's how judgmental people are. And verse 4 shows that so often it looks like they're trying to help somebody. I'm just trying to help them. Really? (laughs) You're saying... Let me take that speck out of your eye. Now you're a doctor too, all of a sudden. You're an ophthalmologist. Congratulations. Now you're judge and doctor. Hey, let me handle it because obviously you can't or you don't want to yourself because, well, that's how you always are. Moms ever chase your toddler or maybe even your older kids around because they have something in their nose? Moms have this thing with stuff in kids' noses. I don't get it. It's like they got to get it. Oh, my, come here, come here, come here, come here. And the kid's like, mm-mm, mm <laughs> They don't care, but you care. And you just got to get it. It's driving you crazy. That's kind of what this is indicating. The thing that the other person isn't addressing, that tiny, irritating to you thing, that you're just incredulous that they don't care or can't see it. And you have to just get it. 
Because, well, you know best. You're good. You're better. You're best. And your motives are pure, right? But in your concern, your love, quote unquote, your efforts to help others, you are beating them to death with that log sticking out of your eye. Can you see the picture? Stephen, come here. I don't got nothing big enough here. I need something big. Give me a second. Let me get that thing out of your eye, okay? Here, I got to get I got to get that thing out of your eye. What, 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 stand still. What's the matter with you? You got that thing in your eye. Boom, boom, boom. You can sit down. You're bludgeoning them. You're beating them to death in the name of love. You don't notice that log in your own eye. Jesus was a very effective communicator, by the way. You're trying to get close. You're trying to do detail work. And you're beating them to death with a tree that's sticking out of your own eye. See the picture in your head? It's a person with a log in their eye trying to get close, trying to do detail work. No, no, no. Here, let me. Let me help you. Let me tell you why you're wrong and why my way is better and why my motives are pure and you're just obviously evil and you're a pawn of the devil. Here, let me fix it. Boom, bang, pal, oof, owl. Thanks, but no thanks, pal. You're beating me to death. Your help is the most harmful thing in my life. So stop it. But verse 5 shows that Jesus is not just saying... Stop it. You hypocrite. First, take the log out of your own eye. And then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. Now that's a little different, isn't it? First of all, he calls this judge, this helper, a hypocrite. An actor, a faker. Someone whose inside motives don't match their outside actions and vice versa. You say you want to help, but that's not true. You want to demean, you want to harm, you want to beat up the other person with that speck in their eye and build up, exalt, and elevate yourself in their eyes and in the eyes of others. That's your goal. Beat them down so you can be seen as better or more righteous than them. That's your goal. But Jesus says clearly, don't do that. Instead, deal with your own junk. Get that log out of your own eye and then you will be able to see clearly which will enable you to truly help poor old speck eye. If you truly deal with your own stuff and have it in proper perspective, then and only then can you help other people. Humble yourself and then you're in a right position to help others. And you're not judging anymore. Not condemning at least. I love that. Jesus isn't just saying that you can't help others. He's just saying that you can't do it until you're not in a position to do it with an air of superiority. Because that just beats people to death. Ditch your log, then deal with somebody else's speck. And every time I say speck, I think of Pee Wee Herman, right? Okay, nobody. Okay, I won't go there then. Just look it up. Pee Wee Herman, it was his dog's name. Speck! 
Ditch your log, then deal with somebody else's speck. Which brings up an interesting perspective from the previous issue. Are we or are we not to judge? No and yes. We are not to judge in a self-righteous, others-degrading way ever. Not ever. But we are to decipher right and wrong. We are to know the difference between holiness and sin and we are to call sin, sin, which calls for judgment, right? We are supposed supposed to differentiate between what is God's will and what clearly isn't, which the Bible really helps there, by the way. And he shows us this in quite the sentence in our last verse. Verse 6, this is haunting me, not just because of that article I read. Do not give dogs what is holy and do not throw your pearls before pigs lest they trample them underfoot and turn to attack you. Man, what a sentence. I mean, what a sentence. This last verse of our passage today is a whopper. This thing is loaded with implications. First, let's look at the basic nuts and bolts of it. I think if we're not careful, we miss the connection between what we've already looked at today and this verse can seem a bit out of place if we just casually look at it. We've been talking about not judging, about not nitpicking your brother while you need serious work yourself. And then there's a bit about dogs and pigs and holy things and pearls. What's that all about? Let's see if we can figure it out. The first statement is, do not give dogs what is holy. Okay. It's really a pretty straightforward statement. What's holy? Well, Will told the joke this morning about that Gutenberg Bible. Now it's not holy because it's a Gutenberg Bible. It's holy because it's a Bible. Right? The Holy Bible. Right? This is usually what's on the front of it. Now there's like 60,000 different study Bibles and it's the New Life Application Fill Your Car Up With Gas Study Bible or something. I don't know. I'm like, can we just get a Bible? Get just a holy Bible. Give me a holy Bible. That's what I want. Well, what good's a Bible to a dog? Is a dog going to read that Bible? If he does, you got yourself a money-making machine. Is that dog going to dig in and study and understand the gospel and believe on Jesus for the forgiveness of his sins and enter into eternal life? No. But you say, all dogs go to heaven. Well, I don't know. But seriously, what would a dog do with a Bible? Chew it up? Shake it in its mouth? Bury it? We in our day have domesticated dogs to the point it's a little scary in my mind, truthfully. We've almost humanized them, which I think is a problem in our culture. But in Jesus' day, dogs weren't pets outside of the ones that helped with the shepherds. Dogs were wild, sometimes even dangerous creatures that were compared with the unbelieving world. Dogs stood for something that just lived by instinct for food or other physical desires. So Jesus says, don't give them holy things. Okay, now pigs. Do not throw your pearls before pigs, lest they trample them underfoot and turn to attack you. What's usually thrown to pigs? Slop, yo. Slop yo pigs, yo. If you're throwing something to pigs, they expect to be eating it. Ask that Italian gangster. Oh, you can't. So what would happen if you threw pearls... Precious, expensive pearls before those same pigs. Well, it wouldn't take them long to realize that they wouldn't want to eat them. So they would simply run over them and seek the next viable food source, namely you. 
pearl thrower. My dad used to kid my kids when they would ask where Mama was. He'd say she went to feed the cows and the pigs ate her. That's funny until you read stuff from Italy where they're feeding. (laughs) Yeah. Nothing left, he said. It's awful. And here Jesus says that could happen to you if you're trying to gussy up the pig style with pearls. Some of y'all ain't never heard the phrase gussy up. You have today. You're welcome. You're going to suffer some pretty bad consequences for such an effort. So what's that got to do with judging and getting stuff out of my brother's eye? Well, if you try to judge or even help the wrong person, what might happen? Dogs and pig stuff. That's what might happen. Try correcting a lost person with biblical truth. They don't care a thing about it. Like a dog with a Bible, right? Or share the gospel with someone who is wanting to please themselves or live selfishly. What might they do? They might trample the very words of God and turn on you. Trampling you, hurting you, damaging you. Think this can't happen? Jesus says, think again. Now am I saying you shouldn't preach to unbelievers? No. Am I saying you shouldn't try to correct unbelievers with truth? No, I'm not. But Jesus is saying, be careful. You try to correct somebody in the wrong time, in the wrong place, for the wrong reason, and it's you that's going to suffer the consequences. I was in what I would consider a very hostile environment to Christianity not so long ago. I won't go into any details. And I wasn't just outnumbered. I felt alone in this situation. And it was a worldly setting where they were talking about worldly things. And their main thing was, you should be happy. Now, what do you think would have happened if I'd have stood up on my chair and said, Oh, no, 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 no. You must deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow Jesus. There might not have been anything left of me. Think this can happen? Jesus says, think again. Listen to me. Know whose eye it is that you're reaching for that speck of dust in. If they're a dog or a pig, figuratively, don't waste your time. And don't risk the consequences. They're either going to ignore it or they're going to turn on you. It's not going to affect them, but it is going to affect you. And it's not going to be pretty. But you know what that means? That means we have to do some judging. We have to judge between right and wrong. We have to be able to spot dogs and pigs. And we have to know who will receive what we have to say. And if they are those who won't receive it, what does Jesus say? Keep it to yourself. Don't throw your pearls before the pigs. Don't give what is holy to the dogs. Keep your holy things. Keep your pearls. Don't waste them and endanger yourself needlessly. You have to judge in order to do that. 
But that's not a condemning self-righteous judgment. And if it is, you're wrong. It's a godly, Jesus-prescribed judgment. And that's right. Listen to me, church. Sometimes it is right to judge. It's what's going on in your heart and head that tells whether you should be judging or not. Not in an arrogant or prideful way. Not like we're better than someone else. We just have to know that our judgment is biblical, right, and not berating or degrading. And when we make that judgment, what does Jesus say to say? Absolutely nothing. Don't give holy things to dogs. Don't cast pearls before pigs. Don't berate them. Don't run them down. Don't even call them dogs or pigs. Just don't. Because when, when and if you do that, it's you that gets harmed. It's you that gets trampled underfoot. Keep that righteous judgment to yourself. And pray for the dogs and the pigs. They've got to become new creations. Trust God with them. Let Him judge them, which He will do much better than you could anyway. This is an internal rest, knowing who you are, knowing who they are, and who God is in all of this process. And that's really hard to do. That's why you need the Holy Spirit. So there's that. There's the passage. Quite a passage, isn't it? So now we get to apply it. And it's awfully practical because it affects basically every moment of your life. This passage is about judging primarily, telling us when we shouldn't and when we should and how we should. So we've got four P's for application. Pride, prejudice, proper, and come on, pigs. Thank you very much. Pride, prejudice, proper, and pigs. First application point is pride. And I know that I've used pride and prejudice before in application points, but I don't care. Some of you are going, oh, you've used that before. It just fits. I can't help it. So the first one is pride. In application, we want to look at pride. Ultimately, the reason we judge with a condemning attitude is because of our pride. We think we're better than other people, so we elevate ourselves to a position of condemning judge and look down our noses at the other people. This is an antichrist way to live. God abhors pride. It was pride that had Satan seeking to exalt himself above the Most High, and that's what got him thrown from heaven to earth. James 4 6 says, But he gives more grace, therefore it says, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Now, do you see that? God is opposed to the proud. How do you think that's going to turn out for you? God has never lost. God will never lose. And if God opposes you, you will lose. Ivan Drago told me that. You will lose. God is opposed to the proud. That's a pretty big deal, wouldn't you say? So listen to me. Application point under pride is we have to make sure that we are not exalting ourselves above others, inflating our egos and making our lives about how great we are. 
We have to make every effort, hear me say this, by the power of the Holy Spirit. Not just to avoid pride, but to kill it. Kill it. That's why we do this every week. You got nothing to boast about in the presence of God. The flesh of Jesus, the body of Jesus, the blood of Jesus is what saved you. You did nothing to save yourself. And Jesus said, when you know that you're forgiven, you can't not forgive others. When you know that you are a crouching beggar, which was the very front door of these beatitudes, I've got nothing in my hands. I'm a crouching beggar, and if you don't give it, I've got nothing. When you realize that, again, at the front door of this whole thing, it's going to be real hard to exalt yourself above somebody else. The Bible destroys pride. You want to kill pride in your life? Get in the Bible. You say say that every week. I don't care. I'll say it six times a week if it will get you in your Bible. Kill pride in your life. When you feel that twinge in your heart that you're a little bit better than somebody, anybody, take it to God and say, God, I have sinned. And I need your help to kill this beast in my life. And it is a beast in your life and in mine. Pride. Kill it. It's application point number one. Prejudice. Pride leads us into a life that prejudges everybody in one way or another. Prejudice. Prejudge. So that pride is the front door to prejudice, which is consistently looking down at other people another person or other people or placing them into categories that you conveniently know how they will act or what they will do. Oh, he's one of those. She's from there. He's that color skin person. This was exactly the sin of the scribes and the Pharisees. And just like pride, Jesus hated it. He is literally calling them out over and over and over again in the Gospels for doing this very thing. Prejudice was rampant in their time, and boy, it's rampant in our area, isn't it? Good old central Appalachia. I love this place. And prejudice is rampant in our area. Most of you probably grew up with many prejudices. I did. And we have to battle things that we have been taught, ideas that have been planted in our heads from itty-bitty, from years of exposure to certain thought patterns that place individuals or groups into prejudged categories. Oh, those are those people that do this. I see that speck in their eye. So what do we do about it? This verse has just been really, 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 really big to me recently. 2 Corinthians 5.16 From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. 
Even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard Him thus no longer. This is a pretty good prayer to pray to help deal with your prejudices. I don't regard anybody anymore according to the flesh. I don't look at the outer man or woman. I look at the inner person. And I have to decipher what do they need. How can I love them? How can I serve them? Not why are they beneath me or why are they worse than me and why am I better than them based on outward appearances. From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. That's a grand thought, isn't it? You think you can do that? Not by yourself. Can you do that in the power of the Holy Spirit? Absolutely. It might be a good idea sometime in your downtime, quiet time, rest time. Sit down and really think, pray, and ask God to reveal your prejudices to you. And ask God to help you kill them. Because prejudices lead you to judge and condemn others. And there is no place for that in the body of Christ. He had every right to judge us and to be prejudiced against us. We're Gentile dogs, y'all. And that's what he did for us. You, the perfect sacrifice, laid down your life for us. Kill your pride, kill your prejudices. Third point is proper. Hear me say this. There is a right way to judge And we are called to. We're not commanded not to judge in general, but rather not to condemn. Listen to me. We have to judge. We have to. We have to differentiate between what's right and wrong, who is to be followed, and who is to be shunned. Jesus said this. I almost said this earlier. Do not judge by appearances, but judge with right judgment. Some versions say righteous judgment. So what's the command? Don't judge by appearances, but judge. Judge with right judgment. And this is especially true in things that I'm saying. You better judge what I'm saying with righteous judgment. And if I'm out of line, you better come to me and say, Dude, I need to get that speck out of your eye or that log that's growing out of your ear. That's righteous judgment. And if I bristle at that, there's something wrong with me. There's so much out there in the world today. And so much of it looks right and looks good. And if you don't judge correctly, you're going to be corrupted by it. Because it's demonic. It's from the very pit of hell. And it looks palatable. It looks good. It looks successful. And if you are not able to judge between that and the Word of God, it's going to be bad for you. And others, because you're probably going to lead other people that way too. We have to judge. There's a proper way to do it. Judge with right judgment. Righteous judgment. Last one. Pride, prejudice, proper pigs. Speaking of judging, we've got to find the pigs. 
we got to know the dogs. And we have to be able not to entrust ourselves to them, not to try to attach ourselves to them, not even to try to correct them because it's going to be harmful to us. Now that's hard, y'all. And in the power of the Holy Spirit, you can do this. Look at 2 Timothy 3, 1-5. through That's our last passage before we finish. But understand this, that in the last days there will come times of difficulty, for people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. Now watch this. Having an appearance of godliness but denying its power. Avoid such people. I'm going to jump back to something real quick there. Kids, young'uns. You know somebody that's disobedient to their parents? Avoid those people. Avoid them. That's not your friend. But I like them. It's not your friend. You know somebody that's disobedient to their parents? Run from them. That's extra application point there. We'll call that uh, peds. There we go. Pediatric. That's why. I can't. I can't help it. But did you catch that last sentence in verse 5? Avoid such people. Avoid them. Don't debate them. Don't try to lecture them. Don't try your self-improvement plan on them. Avoid them. Don't give what's holy to them. Don't cast your pearls before them. And don't look them in the eye and say, you're a dog. You're a pig. I know you're kind. Because you're going to get trampled. The application point is avoid them. Judge correctly, judge righteously, and avoid these people. We need to look at that list one more time. Lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having the appearance of godliness. These people are in the church, but denying its power. Avoid such people. They're pigs. Does that mean you don't love them? Jesus said, love your enemy. Pray for those who persecute you. You're not looking down your nose at them. You're just avoiding them because Jesus said to avoid them. And you're praying for them. And you pray that God will make them a new creation. So that they're not dogs or pigs anymore. Love them. Pray for them. But do not hang out with them. Don't buy into what they're selling. And don't try to sell them what you got because it's not going to work. Preach the gospel and know when somebody's a pig and a dog and avoid those people. Now that's hard and absolutely positively necessary for your sake and for the glory of God. Now you're going to see Jesus all through Matthew and if you look into Mark, Luke, and John, look people in the face and say, You hypocrites. You brood of vipers. 
whitewashed tombs full of dead men's bones. Be very careful. They killed him. And he knew that was going to happen. And he told you, avoid those people. Kill your pride. Overcome your prejudice. Judge in a proper way. And avoid the pigs. Let's pray. God, I thank you that you care about the very pointed details of our lives. This is intensely practical. It's intensely personal. God, I am one who is prone to judge. And that's not your spirit. That's the spirit of the world. That's the spirit of pride. The spirit of Antichrist. Help me, help us, God, to be those who do not pronounce railing judgments against people, but help us to decipher the dogs and the pigs and help us to avoid them. Help us to deal with our own log and our own eye so that we can see clearly to help our brother with the speck that's in his eye. And we definitely need your help for this, God. So by the power of your Holy Spirit, do it in us and through us. Convict us of what we need to be convicted of. Help us to repent and help us to walk in the way that leads to eternal life so that you get glory and we get good. We ask for your help and expect it in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand and receive a benediction? A much needed benediction, I think. Now to Him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of His glory with great joy to the only God our Savior, through Jesus Christ our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time and now and forever. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. You're dismissed. Stay neat with us if you can.